I totally get it that creative people have this dream to use their mind and their talent, their creative ability uh, to, to, you know, because it's what you intuitively love and do best. And then you have to earn a living from it and you go into the world of commercial creativity. And so many talented writers and designers go into advertising to follow their dreams and very quickly realize um, how exhilarating and amazing it can be, but also how tough it is. What's up, hustlers? Welcome to the Matt Brown Show. It is said to live a creative life, we just need to lose our fear of being wrong. As an entrepreneur, it is about knowing where your blind spots are, but this is easier said than done. Let's take creative companies and agencies, for example. They are so busy building the brands of other companies that they very rarely build their own brand which is one of the greatest paradoxes in the business world today. Yet most creative agencies do not acknowledge this blind spot even exists. Because as the saying goes, when you are stuck inside the bottle, you can't read the label. So what you need is perspective to break through. And that often means working with experts and skill sets that you don't have on your payroll. Lauren Wolf is the CEO of Mrs. Wolf a strategic consultancy that helps creative companies identify their blind spots and helps them to unleash and direct their creativity toward building their own brand. Oh, and pay attention to a new segment on the show called The Injustice League, where Lauren gets busy with a baseball bat in the studio. So without further ado, enter Lauren Wolf. So how's it going, man? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. Are you? Yeah, I know. But good busy, hey? Yeah. We just, uh, we're growing, man, massively. So it's super exciting. It's very exciting to be here. I know. Love the daily hustle. Yeah, thanks. What do you think of the new vibe, hey? Yeah, I'm loving the, <coughs> the, the grass. I'm yeah. loving the um, bat, the baseball bat, which I'm not 100% sure <laughs> why it's here, but um, I've got good insurance, just warning you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. We don't have health and safety. <laughs> it's all good. So um, let's kick off the show by getting the headlines about your backstory. So I know there was creative agencies. Uh, we won't mm-hmm. mention names. I'm going to leave that to you. Um, but how have you gotten to this point? Like, what are the kind of highlights that you want to share with our viewers and listeners at the time? Okay, highlights. Um, highlights are just a total passion for creativity from a young age, wanting to study art at school, loving the English language and writing, looking for a career that could kind of fulfill those wishes. So not knowing what career that could be at the time, I got in, I went to university and did a generic Bachelor of Arts, as you do. But immediately then, I had been bitten by the idea that I wanted to get into advertising. And at university, um, there was an organization, funny enough, started by Alistair King and a guy called Jimmy Papadopoulos called Ad Factor. And that kind of spurred my interest in advertising. And the minutes I could, I did VAC jobs at ad agencies around Joburg and decided a career in advertising was definitely what I wanted. Took a year after varsity. Uh, spread my wings, traveled the world, and uh, came back, moved to Cape Town, um, learned, I'd say, psychology, working in restaurants for a year, and then uh, started working for Spurs Steak Ranches in promotions. Boom! 
<laughs> Not where I thought I was going to start in my huge advertising career. Come leave you dropped that. <laughs> um, brilliant experience. Amazing, passionate people. Learned a lot about retail, about restaurants, um, and about brands and marketing. Uh-huh. So actually loved it. But my dream was to work at a big agency uh-huh. on a big brand. Um, <laughs> And that took me to Ogilvy and Matha, Wrightford, Siltrip and Macon mm-hmm. uh, in Cape Town, okay. working with Mike Abel on the Volkswagen account. Sweet. So you're name dropping a lot there. So Mike Abel's been on my show. I assume by Alistair King, you mean Alistair King from King James, 100%. the agency. Yeah. Um, is there any network that you haven't worked at that you kind of look back at your, your initial career in the kind of ad exec level that you kind of like, fuck, I really wish I'd done that gig at the time i only wanted to work for ogilvy um or hunt lascaris mm-hmm. did you do the hunt lascaris i never did the hunt thing um never wished that i did no regrets anywhere on my journey but respected so respected the work that um that agency did mm. in those early days hugely disruptive still disruptive mm. Um, and I love how they've kind of kept that story going and that narrative uh, through the years. Um, and obviously, um, the journey of Alistair King and James Barty, both of whom I worked with uh, at Ogilvy, uh, has been an inspiring one, and I think they've done great. So you obviously did, or I suppose used that experience as a springboard into what you're doing now. Um, so what are you doing now? What is, and, and I know we shared this already on social prior to the show, but what is Mrs. Wolf about and why does your strategic consultancy for the creative industry matter so much today? Can I go back a couple of steps? All the way back. Yeah, all the way back. Because <laughs> that's a brilliant question. But if I miss out this part of the story, it won't make sense. We're all about story. Go for um, it. Loved my career at Ogilvy uh, in Cape Town and then left to go live in, of all places, Switzerland. Boom. And there, I worked for British American Tobacco. Boo. Yeah. You're doing uh, so well. I was doing so well. (laughs) It's cool. Working for tobacco, uh, basically working for any brands that have got constraints is a winner. Um, If you work within industries that are are difficult for any reason, your levels of creativity and innovation skyrocket. Mm -hmm. And that's the big lesson I got out of that stint, uh, among others. So I worked for British American Tobacco on Lucky Strike. Yay. Mm. Awesome brand Um, for a couple of years. Then came back to South Africa, worked for Ogilvy again in the Joburg office and did stints um, and did a number of stints on amazing brands there and got into management and leadership at Ogilvy. And from while I was at Ogilvy, just a curiosity, a natural curiosity to know more, to study more, to improve my levels of business acumen and all-round leadership ability, I signed up and uh, went to the Berlin School of Creative Leadership where I did an MBA in creative leadership um, based out of Berlin. Um, and that was an extraordinary experience. And it was there that really my interest, which had already been sparked at Ogilvy in marketing for creativity and the business of creativity and the insight that um, why so often did the creative shop window look a million times worse than that of their clients mm-hmm. and and that for creative businesses to thrive and survive, um, we had to uh, or we should have a closer look 
at how our narrative is being told in the world, not just those of our clients and their customers. So I had an interest in that and wrote my thesis in that exact topic. Mm -hmm. That exact topic. So for me, that's the biggest irony in the world, right? You've got these big agencies. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just say agencies, creative companies, whose sole purpose and reason for existing is there to market and build brands, right? Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah. Huge paradox. Yeah, Easily but they explained. don't market themselves, <laughs> right? They're like building Absa, NetBank, you know, Gatorade, Apple, right? And, um, TBWA brands, uh, the last two, but they don't market themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's like they win awards and stuff, and I want to talk to you about, how, like, for me, how much that just stinks of BS for many reasons. Um, because outside of that, it's like, you know? It's the paradox, like, like that you talk about. Like, so why is that such a thing in the creative industry? Why don't creatives, you know, uh, market their own brands? Well, this was exactly the question I had. So, why is it that those who create and innovate and ideate for others do so th for themselves? Um, and that question was answered through the work I did um, in my research and, and thesis. And quite simply, at its heart, is it's human nature. Really. Human nature is that we tend to do far more for other than we do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can um, buy that. And the name of the, the thesis was The Cobbler's Children Have No Shoes, <laughs> um, which is a very famous sort of idiom, but there are many around the world. Everything from the dentist's children have got holes in their teeth yeah. um, and any, any of those kind of catchphrases that we say often about ourselves. Mm. So why is it that the guy who works in web design has got a shitty website mm. why is it that the interior designer's home um is uh, is always upside down and the cushions haven't been recovered and it's a fundamental part of human nature um and it's it's around how we don't often see ourselves as we see others and we don't often do for ourselves as we do for others mm. and very often it's much easier to project our thinking project our ideas onto the businesses lives uh, of others than it is on ourselves mm -hmm. it's hard to hold up the mirror. Do I, haven't you found that? Um, in what sense? Well, I think in, in life and in business, don't you find it's often easier to dispense advice to somebody than to take it? Yes, especially if you're arrogant. Mm. You know, like when I was a young guy, I was a dick, basically. I mean, like, it, I don't know whether people misconstrue arrogance for confidence. Do you know what I mean? And I used to get into intellectual debates. Ah, oh, you know, you say that I, this is obviously when I was young, right? So like Brad's age. <laughs> uh, much older than you, Mav. <laughs> Mav just got here from Durban. How about that? Eh? Welcome, Mav. Oh, no. Welcome. No. no, but so, I mean, when I was young, it was, it was just because I was good, you know, at what I did. And so often some mm. people, I suppose, I was talking to Leah McRae yesterday about this whole thing around everything in business is personal. Anyway, so people used to call me arrogant, and I was like, no, 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 but it's just confidence in knowing what I'm doing. Like, if I know that that's the solution that will work, then that's the solution that will fucking work, right? Don't call me arrogant because it's the right thing to do, you know? That's a different story. I don't know. I don't get it. Um, so I think the, I think where it translates into business into, and into the work I do, which was kind of links back to your last question, was around a fantastic uh, sort of quote that I've seen a couple of times, but actually uh, it was Dean Olsek, thank you very much, at Halo, who shared the quote to me, uh, which I've used subsequently since then, which is, um, it's hard to read a label from inside the bottle. Uh -huh. Isn't that Howard Mann's? I'm not sure. It could okay. be. Thank yeah. you. Mm. Please. It was Howard's. I'm pretty sure it was his. It's, so uh, Dean got it from Howard, and he gave it to you, and now you're giving it to the world. 
I love it. We have to share. We're here to help each that other, right? That is marketing, right? man. That is that marketing. Is, uh, yeah, we're here to help each other. And that's, again, linked to the insights um, around the same insights. So it's not that this condition doesn't exist. And, yes, things like ego exacerbate it. So the level of somebody's ego, um, if they're not prepared um, to entertain other ideas other than their own um, and not prepared to hold up the mirror. So, yes, ego did come out strongly in my uh, research as um, a stumbling block mm. to to self-motivation, innovation, and creation. Yeah. But um, the other thing is if you accept that it's completely normal that you can't be excellent at everything and that if you are very focused um, on your clients and your clients' customers, it's obvious that there's certain things that are going to fall by the wayside. Mm. So the, the thing around it is if you can identify that marketing or engagement is not your strong point or you simply don't have time to do it, you can't ignore it because if you are a modern marketer and if you do believe in the work of Peter Drucker, you'll know that – a, mar a marketing and innovation are critical to a business. Mm. And in his mind, mm. um, you don't have a business if you don't have marketing and innovation. Yeah, totally. I mean, I want to go back to your mirror analogy because it's very good. Why do you hold up a mirror to yourself as a business owner or as a creative agency in your world? And for me, the answer very simply is, is this, is to identify where you're weak. Where are your blind spots? And that, for me, is such a big fucking deal. Because going back to your um, initial thing around, like, stuck inside the bottle and can't read the label, the only thing that gets you out of that is perspective. And when you are the one in the trenches executing every day, how are you supposed to get perspective on what you're doing? Do you know what I'm saying? Because you get tunnel vision. Like, I was talking to the guys this morning about this whole concept. Um, but it's true, right? You, you're stuck in this thing that you deliver. And so you don't take the time out of delivering all these massive campaigns. And we know what a boiler room, engine room type thing, a creative environment is, especially in the agency side, the big agency side. So when you're executing all the time, you don't have time to even consider marketing yourself. It's like innovation. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the hardest 100%. thing to sell. Everybody likes to talk about it, mm -hmm. but you, you try and get a big business or an established business to, to innovate and, and, and basically iterate forward into potentially you know, new markets through diversification of products and services and so forth. They, they love to talk about the fact that they are innovative, but at the end of the day, they are too stuck in their own paradigm. Right. Okay, so that's the thing for me that's fascinating about the creative industries, particularly around advertising agencies as we currently know them, because actually what happened and what has happened historically is these are businesses that have innovated and created and ideated um, and done the most extraordinary work for their clients that has pushed massive global and local brands into the stratosphere. And actually very often have been responsible for part of their evolution and their innovation levels and part of their future perspective. So much so that they never stopped to make sure that their own business model, their own levels of innovation, their own levels of moving forward and taking on, um, the dramatic change that's happened, um, globally, um, so that their businesses were, if not, if not at the cutting edge of innovation, as they should be, but beyond it. And their clients, many of their clients have actually beat them in that race. So there, therein lies the paradox and the irony and something that's fascinated me completely. And I think going back as well, Matt, to what you said, which is so important, is that we why, we can only move forward once we admit we can't know everything. 
So when we identify that we have a blind spot, okay, so we really shit at marketing. It's not our actual natural um, mental perspective. It, we don't have the vocational background in it. We don't really have an interest in it. We're actually a techie or we're a finance person, but we're running a business. As soon as you can say, you know what, my business has to market, it has to engage with its clients and customers and all other stakeholders in, uh, stakeholders in its environment, once you admit that you can't do that but you recognize that it's necessary, there's only two things to do, really. The first thing is to teach yourself if you don't have that skill. You say to yourself, I'm going to take it on. I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to teach myself finance. I'm going to work at that as my weak spot or my blind spot. And you know what? If you don't have the time or inclination, what's the other option? You have to ask for help or yep. you have to buy help. And and that shouldn't be seen as a weakness. That should be seen as strategy. Mm-hmm. Or strength, actually. But there's so much, so much of this theme is coming through from what Lee and I were talking about yesterday, right? It's like, I keep saying like no entrepreneur is an island. Like the biggest problem with entrepreneurs is they think they can do it all on their own, especially when they're young, like Brad. You know? (laughs) (laughs) But it's true, right? It's like you just, you don't want to ask for help. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So thing, I think it's a two step thing here, which is one, become aware of the fact that you are weak as, as in marketing, right? Or as a creative agency, because by your very nature, you're not focusing on that. Absolutely. Right? Any service business is actually focused on its clients. In fact, very often, not only on its clients, but on its clients' customers. Mm-hmm. So very often creative agencies are so focused and spending so much time unraveling and understanding the customers of their clients mm-hmm. and creating work that's resonant for them mm-hmm. that everything else becomes, you know, further down on the hierarchy and you find very often the projects you want to do on your own business are right at the bottom of the pile. The second thing is, as you said, is to get the skill, right? Do you believe in the 10,000 hour rule? Because, sorry, I want to jump in here. Mm -hmm. Michael Cowan, if you're watching this, because you probably are, but you posted this rad post yesterday about uh, John Sane basically going out and saying, oh, you know, in this adaptability world world that we live in now, you have to be adaptable and it's going to take 10,000 hours for the X, Y, and Z to learn a skill. Yeah. Michael Cowan's view was that that's BS, right? Or that he was, quote, blowing some smoke up his ass. <laughs> anyway, I love you, Mike. Um, but he said, actually, there are other books, schools of thought, that suggest that it actually takes 20 hours to learn a skill. Look, you're not going to be Led Zeppelin, right? Mm. Or like the, an, a master at something, but you will have sufficient knowledge to execute a new skill in your business. What do you say to that? Yeah, I think there's so much to learn now and there's so much to know. I think if you can identify the things that you need good basic competence in, then pick it up in 20 hours if that's what it takes. But if there's things that you know are critical to your business that require depth, proper depth, then invest in those um, at the same time or, you know, in parallel. So I want to get into the depth in a second, but now it's time for Quotes of the Day. Are you feeling lonely on your entrepreneurial journey? Well, it doesn't need to be that way. Check out the Daily Hustle Telegram group powered by the Matt Brown Show and connect with other hustlers from around the world. So here we go. Thank you, Lauren, for this one. Um, so the quote is, remember why you started. I love this. Mrs. Wolf logo. It's dope. So remember why you started. Why? Why does this matter? Uh... 
What matters to me is creativity. I can't imagine a world without creative companies, creative thinkers, uh, creative ideas. Um, they're going to save the world. <laughs> they do. They do. That's why Mavs here. So <laughs> my purpose is so Saving clear. My purpose is clear. It's creative people, creative companies, creative entities must thrive and survive in the complexity of the modern mm. world. So I want to talk about that. So before we so get, that's why I started. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, but I love it. I love it. I love that. Um, let's bring that up. Well then, cool. You please do it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I want to talk about that thing because it talks to a lot of what John talks about, and I deeply respect what he's doing. He's built a really successful business and brand of of um, his two books, Magnetize and What's Your Moonshot. Mm. And a lot of that narrative is around how technology is actually replacing skills. You know, so I know for certain talking to CEOs <clears throat> on this show and just in general through my network, like a lot, the thing that keeps a lot of them up is what resource do I need? What workforce do I need um, in a world that's largely automated by AI and robots? So a lot of skills, like even developers, I think their days are numbered, right? When AI learns to write web pages and code and stuff, and it's already, we're already very, very far down that kind of road. And a lot of people are scared, right, from a technology uh, relevance perspective. How do we remain relevant? And everyone's banging the disruption drum, which is laughable in many instances. You must just kill it and then start something else. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, that's my view. Mm. It's easier to do that than try and innovate. But anyway, um, point being is... Creativity, for me, that is one thing. It's like, okay, I'm gonna keep it simple. Creativity is probably the one thing, like content. In other words, producing a show like this that AI will never do. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's, so creativity will never be the thing that's replaceable. Do you know what I mean? You know what? If you if you're gonna give meaning to creativity as ideas that change things. Um, there's a point at which machine learning and AI is going to be limited um, in developing that, I believe. Mm-hmm. But the thinking behind the development of AI and machine learning is, I think, what's so, what's so amazing. In other words, the thinking that's happening now behind those technologies and the creativity that's taking place to develop the kind of um, agile thinking that we're going to need in a world that's got... Um, that kind of learning and that kind of um, ability to uh, produce is what what I find fascinating. There's always going to be a place for ideas. It's, as soon as we run out of ideas, which to me is impossible, there's no end uh, to ideas, um, is when we have to have a serious a serious think uh, about the future. Um, and that's why, for me, creativity has got to be championed, creative industries, creative businesses, because they change things. Mm-hmm. I was thinking this morning about ideas and how worthless they are. School me. And I'll give you more context. Mm. So ideas for me are like, yes, there's some intrinsic value in creative ideas. So I'm going to use creative ideas because we're talking about creativity. But they are basically worthless until they're executed or until they're implemented. Do you agree with me or not? Because I absolutely agree I find with so you. many people, especially in the entrepreneurship world, they're like, oh, I've got this idea for a business or a startup or whatever, and it's going to revolutionize, blah, blah. And then I'm like, okay, well, what is it? No, 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 we've got to sign NDAs. And I'm like, fuck, what are you doing, dude? It's worthless. Do you know what I'm saying? It's absolutely worthless. I mean, what do you say to that? 
I agree 100%. And in the research that I did, it's part of the fuel for Mrs. Wolf because of the gap that I discovered between intention and action. So when I interviewed creative company leaders and creative agency leaders, leaders, there wasn't one that didn't believe in marketing and organizational marketing as a critical part of business. There's not one that didn't believe or want to do more, wanted to create more, wanted to ideate more for their own businesses. Not one. Where does it fall down from intention to action? And what was my key finding, which was actually a serendipitous finding in the, in the, in the research that I did, is the distance from intention to action is driven by leadership. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So why do most leaders then fail at that? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I want to they talk don't about, all fail. No, no, not all of them. Yeah. Not all of them. You're right. Mm-hmm. But I will, let's talk about marketing. So when a business is going, let's just say a business is doing ten million a year, argument's sake, right? <clears throat> so now they employ people, blah blah blah, and then the next year um, they do eight million a year. Okay, so whenever a business's revenues are on a decline, mm-hmm. what they tend to do is cut which budget first? Marketing. Yeah, why? <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Think about it. If you don't, in a, like today's world, like the businesses that will be successful, that are successful, are the ones that can out-market and out-innovate. Do you know what I mean? There's only two, marketing and innovation, right? That's the thing. How do you tell stories and build brand and sell more shits in a changing world, right? Those two things are the big levers for me. So... Why do they? Why cut marketing? Fuck! Because if that is the creative prowess of your brand and your business, and the and the interlinking thing is creativity between marketing and innovation, you cut marketing's budget, but you don't want to fund innovation. You know why? Because marketing's done a poor job of marketing itself. <laughs> Good answer. Because again, coming back to perception. And coming back to, you know, we've done a damn good job of hyping up finance. Mm-hmm. We've done a great job of hyping up other organizational, uh, I would call them departments or entities. And yet marketing still in so many sort of C-suite circles is still perceived as a swear word. It's like where all the boobs and balloons are. Um, and if you want to know what one of my pet hates is, that's exactly it. 
So um, I think marketing is not it has become a swear word, which for what is actually the key to business success, which is who are you as a company, why are you, and who cares. And marketing really is the bridge between the business that you want to do, the business that you want to grow, the business that you want to grow so that it includes more and more people and is more valuable to yourself and the economy. Um, and to do that, you need customers. And how do you get customers? Well, you market, basically. Well, by the way, when you mentioned boobs and balloons, I saw Mav getting all excited. <laughs> Oh, so you see, I'm really interested in the perceptions mm. that are built around marketing, creativity, and ideas. I'm, I'm really yeah. interested in how um, not just the ad industry, although that's where a lot of it is located, how we just need to work harder. The industry has done the most extraordinary things for society, for community, and for brands, mm. and yet often still gets a bad rap. And if we could tell more of those stories and more about the valid, the credible, the exciting, the behavioral changing um, work that agencies are doing locally and globally, we have a much stronger story to tell. And I think businesses um, will engage far more um, with the creative companies of today. So I have to ask you, you mentioned creative agencies and the word future, I believe. At yes. least I was thinking that. So <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I have my views on this. I think everyone has an opinion of this. I think if you're looking at a business model in a creative agency that hasn't changed for 60 years since the days of the admin, right? When they were smoking cigars and you, like, flipping slides and what were those things? You know, when this, the... What was that old thing called? Remember the old thing, the projector type thing, but it was super slow and the first examples of projectors. Anyway. We yeah, you've lost Matt, me there. Out, I'm, out, I'm too out. young to Just know, Google Matt. Let Sorry. Me know. It's like a kaleidoscope <laughs> type thing. You're not that. Come on, really. Mind you're too young to know, I suppose, here. <laughs> so, uh, although I wish I lived in the Mad Men era. So, I was at my desk. But I there mean. is this mad, there's a Mad Men scene, right, where he basically pitches a room full of executives um, about this machine, right, that projects images essentially onto a wall, right? right? And that's where advertising started. They were selling creative ideas, selling time and hours, right? That business model hasn't changed. Fundamentally, it hasn't changed uh, in the ad agency space, right? If you look at every other type of business, and almost it's almost like an establishing criteria, if your business model hasn't changed in the last 50 years, you need to change, right? Right? Because think about it. How does an agency, a traditional agency with, an, with, a, with a legacy business model survive when you've got an entire global phenomenon called freelancing, right? Threatening the resources that they need. In, order, in other words, threatening them to acquire the resources that they need in order to deliver creative work. Think about it. If people don't yeah. want to build your dream and yeah. they want to build their own dream, how do you have the, the necessary resources and retain those resources to sustain your business model? I mean, freelance... Brent Spilly, our good mates, wrote the fucking book on this, right? Um, what does the, I mean, do creative agencies in their, in their kind of legacy view and paradigm, do they have a place in the world? And if they do, um, is it, is it going to be just be the same for them or what do they need to change? Um, 
Interestingly enough, I think there is a place for the agencies that you're talking about, the big traditional agencies with very traditional ways of um, producing creative ideas and creative thinking. Um, I think they will shift. Um, I think they will embrace the gig economy. I think they're going to have to. Um, but I think that there will be horses for courses. I think those big traditional agencies will find the right client partners that appreciate and work well within that structure and want to keep that structure going because it actually has worked for them incredibly over time. But one thing that has really blown me away in the last, I'd say, 18 months since I started working um, with Mrs. Wolf and since I started Mrs. Wolf is the amount of agencies that I've met that I'd never heard about. And small ones, small yes. Small ones. Yep. Uh, some not so small. There are a lot of agencies or a lot of, you know, agencies also is just such a, uh, the nomenclature around advertising agencies and around marketing and creative companies is just so overused and so redundant, but unfortunately we keep using it. Um, but I've met a lot of companies um, working in creative services that I either hadn't heard of or had heard of and had no idea that they had either n the a number of accounts or amount of business that they did, as well as small shops doing the most fascinating work for interesting clients and also with new business models. Okay, interesting. So that has really surprised me. It's just not what you see on the radar. So part of what I'm there for them to do is to help them tell their stories and to help get their narrative out there because there are clients and there is talent out there that's interested in how some of those businesses are disrupting the, the let's say, the agency model and have started – um, their businesses, not in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, or even 80s. But six months ago. But six months ago. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So what's the, what are some of, I mean, if there was an innovation or innovative business model that jumps to mind based on these smaller ones that started six months ago, mm. can you share like maybe one example of what that looks like? I'm really finding some of the work that some companies are doing around um, outcomes-based pricing interesting. So risky. they, it's risky, but interesting. Um, they prepare to put their money where their mouth is. And I think that creates for a lot of interest. Um, but it also creates huge complexity. Mm. Um, huge complexity because when you're trying to change a system on both sides, agency side and client side, um, it's huge, especially where you're dealing with a historic procurement department who only know how to buy agency services in one particular way. So, um, I think a lot of that sort Dig, of, dig. Yeah, a lot of that new, new pricing, um, modeling is interesting to me. And I really applaud some of the creative leaders that are championing that, um, and putting stuff on risk and really, um, entertaining procurement, um, and asking them to really consider new ways of charging and new ways of thinking. And I think the other area where, uh, I'm loving is, um, some of the clients I'm working with are, completely passionate about the gig economy and completely passionate about how they can find um, I hate to even call them freelancers but how they can find different thinkers to bring into their businesses to bring a different point of view mm. again bringing us back really way uh, bringing us back full circle into 
getting perspective and getting other perspective. So I love the small shops. We've got the agility to bring in everything from engineers to deep sea divers to architects um, and to other great thinkers, sometimes even students who aren't tainted yet by the kinds of linear thinking that the rest of us are, um, to just share their views and ideas so that they remain sort of current and consistent and exciting and relevant to their clients. Mm-hmm. Amazing. They, they, they're kind of teaching us, and, yeah. and so they should. They should, totally. Are we doing uh, knockouts? Oh, we do. You can ring the bell. Can We're going to do again? the knockout oh, round. Now What is this? All right, this is... <laughs> Look there. Matt, it's so This is the knockout punch. Yeah, so basically this is your top tip that's going to knock out the competition. So anything really awesome and compelling that you want to share with our viewers... Uh, guys, if you are online checking us out on YouTube, please drop us your questions. We've got Mav managing the community stream here. So, You're what's so your cool, t- Matt. You use uh, all this like very cool language. Uh, dude, you know, it took, took me a long time. Oh, you know. Damn it. So cool. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep up, Imagine but I'm trying. I would have been you know, if I had these skills when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> So what's your top tip knockout My punch? My top tip knockout punch has got to be what we spoke about earlier. I came into the room with that. It's what's fueled my business is know your blind spot. Mm-hmm. Identify it fast and quick. Uh, know your blind spot. Identify it. Name it. Um, treat it with respect. Treat it with respect. Teach yourself. If it's a skill you know is critical for your business mm-hmm. um, and you don't know it, if it's too hard to teach yourself that skill or you're really not interested in or it's really not the thing that you love to do, mm-hmm. hands up for finance, um, <laughs> then, and you're not prepared to teach yourself, then hire or ask for help. And again, it's not a weakness. It's a strategy. Cool. And that concludes the knockout punch. Now what do I do? Punch you. Oh, okay. So I want to dive into this – this blind spot thing. How do you, so you know my business, you I know do. the journey that I've been on. Mm-hmm. You are an expert in helping creative companies like myself become better at what they do. And I know for certain that there are other creative companies um, who are going to be checking this out in our podcast and then obviously on the stream now. So, how does one identify the blind spots? Like, use me as your reference. Like, and maybe you could share a bit about your process, none of the IP stuff, because I know you've got a pretty rigorous like thing <laughs> that you do to get to the truth. So how do I find my weak spots? Where, does, where do I start? Hold up the mirror. Okay, you're a mirror. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think there's been a lot written and spoken about purpose, But I think as an entrepreneur particularly, if that thing is not clear in your mind um, and is not clearly articulated um, for yourself to be able to literally recite back for yourself um, daily why you're doing what you're doing, remember why you started. Um, if so that purpose fucking eloquent, dude. Seriously, sorry, that's sorry to interrupt you, but mm. I have to say, it, like, I've just literally gone through this whole thing, like the why. I remembered why. why. I remember, I was talking to Leo about it a couple shows ago. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I think so the, the, the why has become quite cliched, and and you know, all due respect to Simon Sinek for bringing Who? the why out. He's the author of the Matt. The guy's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he is everywhere. So what I'm saying is, for some people, people are feeling purpose is a bit jaded, mm. um, and also there's a big difference between personal purpose and brand purpose. Totally. Um, when you're an entrepreneur, it's sometimes quite close. 
you know, your personal purpose and your brand or business purpose often are fairly closely aligned, I find. Um, but yeah, I think if you can work out what your company's purpose is, and if it is aligned to yours, it usually just makes it easier because you have, you have to get up in the morning and drive it. So, yeah. Do you find it or do you create it? Um, I think you know it intuitively because that's why you probably started. But people don't spend enough time articulating it because the first thing you do when you go and see clients or customers is they say, tell me about your business. And it's far more interesting to tell them, well, I started or this business exists in the world to do this in a very compelling and succinct way um, as opposed to rambling as to why you thought this was a great idea in the world. Um, so I think just to articulate it, get it down in black and white and be able to sit um, in a conversation like we've had today and uh -huh. say, Lauren, what was your why? Why did you start? Yeah. For me, it, I actually wrote it down. I crafted it and articulated it. And then your positioning um, which should come straight after that, it is why is your business there and who cares? In other words, how you are, how are you positioned competitively and then the market, in other words, who, who cares about it? So, you know, if you're in the business, you love snow, you love ice and your positioning is selling ice to Eskimos, you've got a competitive problem. So, so what's your process then? I mean, how would you work with me to get to the truth or to rediscover my purpose. I would find out what you think of yourself and your business, in, in your business, what you think um, of, of what you do and what it is in your mind that you do. Um, and then I'd ask uh, your team. Let's do that. Mav, what does Digital Kung Fu do? We are Creative Studio. We create uh, brands. We do branded content for entrepreneurs and brands in general. Well done, Mav. You passed, my boy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I'd ask your clients uh, the same know. question. Cattle, no. Um, she should fucking know. A number of clients. <laughs> okay. But um, and I'd ask the, the, the people, all, all the constituents important in your life, uh, who is Matt Brown? What is Digital Kung Fu? What is the Matt Brown show? Um, and basically get a handle from the market um, and all your constituents in your business, um, who you are and what you do and why. And if that story's all on a par and that's a good story, then uh, you're doing great. We've audited your brand and you're well positioned to now market. In other words, it's clearly understood by yourself, your clients and your team, who you are, what you do and how you do it. Yep. But if I find there's disconnects between those stakeholders – and there's a lack of clarity, then I'm going to come to you and say, this is where there are key disconnects. You think you're a rock star, your clients don't. Mm. Then we say, okay, how do we get this narrative and the narrative that's right? How do we get consistency and clarity on that for everyone? Um, and I find that that's usually where companies or where brands, and especially creative companies, because I work with everything from artists to agencies and lots in between, architectural studios, interior designers, galleries, uh, auction houses, anyone involved in the creative economy. And it's very often exactly this, that the creative founder is the one who's leading the business and through sheer talent and through absolute commitment to their craft – to um, a level of skill in business, but not a full rounded skill, let's face it, who does have one, have reached a point where they can't either grow any further or they're finding difficulty as they're starting to pitch with bigger companies or uh, let's say their business is growing 
they struggle often with just the language to tell their narrative. Actually, the story. What is the story of my business? And why is it that I can offer you the best solution to your current challenges? And just the articulation of that for some uh, of my clients I find extremely liberating. But why is it so fucking hard, though? Do you know what I mean? Like, why? I mean, if you're living your story, why is it so hard for so many people to get rights? Because you're living it, but you're not necessarily telling it. Uh, okay. And on that bombshell, <laughs> it's time for the Injustice League. <gasps> you know, for most of us, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. So why not let Digital Kung Fu make the most of your time by letting us market you, the brand behind the brand. Check out digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash brand me to get your hands on our curated content packages specifically for busy entrepreneurs. So this is a new segment we're introducing on the show, so I'm super excited about this one. This is where we're going to get Lauren to swing a baseball bat. Am um, I the first? <laughs> the first. Can I but take the But what is title? the injustice that you... What, okay, let me rephrase. What is the one injustice that you see in the creative industry or more broadly in the world today that you think we need to be doing a better job at solving? It's got to be arts education to be... It's got to be you mean arts in education, right? It's got to be arts and creativity in education. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in certain markets and countries, um, it's fairly well established and considered important. But as you know, in our own, um, art doesn't even exist in the government school curriculum to the largest extent anymore. Um, and so for me, the lack of or the gaps in art and creativity education at a young age is just criminal and completely counterintuitive to what we know is the answer to a future of, um, of machine learning and AI, which will threaten the jobs of the very people who need to be creative and need to be agile-minded and need to be able to think about solutions to problems. I mean, when... Um, when Barack Obama was here, he spoke about the fact that the future lies in the hands of young people who can think creatively. Mm-hmm. And although art isn't the only expression of creativity, it's a damn good start for kids. Yeah. Um, and it's a continuation of their intuitive behavior. Mm-hmm. So to take that away from them from the age of five or six at school. Yeah. Um, to learn accounting. T- to learn accounting. Okay, accounting maybe is important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I'm joking. But yeah, that's my injustice. Go away, trolls. Go Brr. away. Go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool, let's do this. Here you go. Here's your bat. Yeah. And what, you what can do put I the do mic down. It? Put okay. the mic down. And then, Mav, you're going to take this ball. I'm going to get out the way here. So you're going to hit this problem out of the ballpark. Ready? Okay, go. Mav, Mav, I want you to throw it as hard as you possibly can. Okay? <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, three, two, one, go. Boom! Oh, yes. Do it again. Okay, you can do it. Go, go, go. Oh, desperate. That was good. I liked it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being our first member of the Injustice League. Boom. Whoops. You can grab your mic. Cool. So, um, where shall we go to from here? Mav, how are we doing with the questions, dude? You want to? Okay, here you go. Um. So being a creative is hard, right? Let's not sugarcoat it. It's really hard. And Matt, really you've hard. helped me out of, come out of a crappy place in Durban. And I'm here now with this rad job thanks to, 
Thanks to Matt. Um, what advice do you have for creatives who are creatively oppressed in agencies? That's deep, dude. I think being a creative for a start is a, it's like a dream job um, until you realize you have to earn money from it. And the minute you enter the world of commercial creativity, um, you know, I often say to the students that I work with, the young artists, I always say to them, are you, good, are you planning to make a living from this? And they go, yeah, because I love it so much. I'm like, okay, uh, great. Um, that means you are now in the business of commercial creativity and you have to start thinking differently about how you're going to earn money from it. So I, I totally get it that creative people have this dream to use their mind and their talent, their creative ability uh, to, to, you know, because it's what you intuitively love and do best. And then you have to earn a living from it and you go into the world of commercial creativity and so many talented writers and designers go into advertising to follow their dreams and very quickly realize um, how exhilarating and amazing it can be, but also how tough it is. And what I want to say is, um, and I, I run a course on this through the Creative Leadership Academy um, together with the Creative Leadership Consultancy in Cape Town, we run a process um, of inspiration, which is around creative courage. And it's around how to, how to be courageous as a creative and also how to do the things that would be so helpful in your job. So some of those are around how to have difficult conversations, how to deal with conflict, how to be a voice in the room. Also, again, how to identify who you are. Are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? And interestingly, are you an ambivert? An ambivert, something, an ambivert, something I learned from Professor Elaine Rumble, who runs this process. It's really about people who feel like they straddle both, you know. You know, people, I, I know for myself, I'm, I'm an extrovert by nature. I can identify as extrovert if you look at the criteria of what an extrovert is. Um, but there's part of me that does steer toward, towards introversion, uh, not to the extent of an ambivert, who's somebody who's really is quite extrovert, but has half of them, or they feel often they need to be alone, they'd like to be quieter, they're not a voice in the room, they struggle to be a voice in the room. So there's, there's criteria that you can use to identify that. But once you know who you are, again, it's all around self-knowledge. Let's face it, Matt, leadership's all self-knowledge. What am I good at? What am I shit at? And mm -hmm. how can I solve that? So for creatives, it's about identifying, okay, who am I in the world? What am I trying to achieve? And and I, am I am I loving this um, because it's it's great for me from a cerebral point of view, but it kills my courage and it kills my confidence when the work that I produce or think of uh, isn't either accepted or run. So for for creatives in agencies, who I respect hugely, um, I just have to say that it's important to know who you are. Use that as your starting point and actually develop your skills in emotional intelligence because every day you're trading. You're trading your ideas. And if you've got better skills around how to trade up all the time and use your creativity as currency, I think you'll see your job in a different thing as opposed to see every rejection as a, as a, as a killing of, uh, you know, as, as a kill uh, and rather as a learning opportunity. Does that answer your question? Cool. So, so ambivert, eh? Jesus, I learned something new I know, today. It's great, eh? Hey? Hey? I'll send that? you some stuff on it. Know, it's please. really interesting. I'm fascinated. <coughs> so I just want to echo what Lawrence just said. So I've worked in creative agencies. I was having this chat to you the other day. Um, Ogilvy, TBWA, I think were the two. Um, I avoided all the other horrors. <laughs> 
but uh, but basically, dude, like if you if you have a creative idea, like let's just take a bank. I won't mention names. They're a big blue bank, Kev. <laughs> Not the turquoise one, the other one. So we we were we were doing lots of creative work for them, right? And like, dude, you try and get a, a, a massively huge, awesome, change the fucking game, creative idea sold. How hard that is, and how true or false, Lauren? True. Okay. So. And then what happens is, unfortunately, like it's soul destroying. You know what I mean? It really becomes, as a creative, if you don't actually see your ideas live, mm. that's the biggest issue. Do you know what I'm saying? Here, you have, as my creative director, you have like complete free reign to do whatever the fuck you want. How many times do I ever say no? Very rarely, right? Unless it's just a bad idea. <laughs> but, yeah, but, that's, but you're okay yeah. with that. You know what I'm saying? But for our clients, you have come, like with Kat, you just guys were shooting this morning. Like I wasn't even like, cheers. I didn't even look at the storyboard. It was, I know you guys are good at what you do. Just do it. Make it rain. You know what I'm saying? You won't have that freedom in a commercially creative environment, right? That's, that's the issue, right? Do you want to add anything? No, I think a career in commercial creativity or creativity in agency can also be incredibly rewarding if you've got the temperament for it. And actually, a lot of creatives really enjoy the commercial side of business and are inspired and invigorated by creating ideas that are linked directly um, to um, to the commercial side of business. And I think there are people who have had and are having um, the most extraordinary careers inside agencies but I think, and so it's, you know, it'd be wrong to paint the entire thing with um, a single paintbrush. Um, but I think it's all around understanding who you are as a person and understanding if you can cope and if you can manage and if you can thrive in that environment. So I don't think it's about the work. I think it's about you. I think if you understand that you are too much of an introvert, you have um, a number of soft skills that are not fully developed to engage in this kind of thing, give it a full go, try your hardest, stay in it for as long as you feel you growing and learning and if eventually you find that you actually operate so much better as a freelancer or much better in a quieter space or a smaller business then that's the point at which you go but it's certainly not um, um, I would say the there's no let's say particular fault in any particular agency I think you just have to work it out you have to work out where you go and where you fit I had a tremendous career um, in ad agencies and loved it and thrived and it enjoyed it. For me, this is just um, like another adventure. Why are you laughing, man? Brad, come here, Brad. Come, you come, come, <laughs> sit, come sit here, dude. He's been helping us out. Yeah. So Brad is going through this um, personal crisis right now. Come move up this way, Lauren, so he can do this. Now join the party. Come join, join the party. <laughs> so Brad, I'm going to give you this mic and I want you and Lauren. In fact, Lauren, you come sit here. I'm actually going to leave my own show. Brad, you, you are going to... you gonna Brown. <laughs> Brad, you're going yeah, to... In a huge, in a sh- Lauren, huge show you are of, going to of host creative the ego, the Matt not, Brown left I, his own show. Dude, I, I'm not the most... See, see, confidence and arrogance, what the hell? You know what I'm saying? Brad, um, I would like you to please chat to Lauren about this conundrum that you find yourself in because Brad has resigned. Okay, he, I suppose he resigned. He didn't give us much time to even get to know each other properly, you know. But he's been in and out. He's been doing some freelance gigs and stuff like this. Um, and he's not happy in, what is it, creativity, media, whatever? So basically, if I have to start off from the beginning, I like to be, I would like to be an influencer, for example, right? So basically what matters right now. <laughs> you know, but, 
as a comedian type of influencer. So as a comedian influencer, like in that field, like you know, like Instagram as a platform, for example. Like yes, I love it when people watch my videos that I make, like little skits, and they're like, "Oh, cool!" You know. Then are, are you are you a like junkie? A like junkie. A like junkie. Um, not necessarily, no, but it does give you a bit of a fulfillment. You know, it's, it's nice sure. to see you can brighten up other people's days with just a little bit of a one-minute video, you know, that you make. Mm-hmm. People make their days a bit better, and that makes me happy, you know. So um, I leached off of that feeling and being like, okay, I want to be a filmmaker. So I studied film, and I did it for two years, and it was okay. And then I did an internship with video editing, not going to mention names, and it was okay. I didn't really enjoy it. And then after like two months, I left. And then I moved on to three other jobs, like this being now the fourth one. And I love the workspace. I love the people. Everyone, yeah, you know, they give me freedom. Nice. <laughs> no, no. And I still, I can't find joy in this work. Like I just, I can't, it makes me feel unhappy to be doing this. Whereas in school, I was a very academic technical person, you know, very good at math and science and things like that. So I feel like before I even wanted to do creative work, I wanted to be an engineer, you know. That was always my dream. I love cars, example. I love all those technical things. I've always been good with my hands since like I was little. And now basically, yeah, sorry to Matt that I've resigned because I, I just, you know, I can't live the rest of my life out knowing that I'm very unhappy like in this industry. So I've decided to go hit the books again. And now, am I making the right decision, basically? I would like to know if if I'm being, being completely dumb, like I'm just focusing on my happiness, or am I making the right decision for my future? What are you going to study? Um, I want to study... So basically, if I could get a job... My brother works for uh, Nampak Glass. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention names, it's okay. Um, and he does electrical engineering. He started off just doing basic stuff and then he branched into the field he wanted to do. So now I want to do that if possible, if I get hired there, then I would like to either choose between mechanical, electrical, or become a Moorite, which is both. So that is my field there that I would like to go into because I've always been decent and good at things like that. I just, I've, I've got the sense always that... Um once you've experienced something and it doesn't feel right, you've got no choice but to be true to yourself if you can and move on. Because strategy or uh, where you're going and what you're doing in the world is as much about saying yes as no. So you said yes to this gig and the couple that you've done before and they don't feel right and they don't sit right with you and there's still something out there they want to pursue. So how cool that you've had these experiences that you can now say no to. You've done it. You've been there. You've done it. I think that is so liberating. I think it's worse when you say, should I have tried that? Could I have tried that? You've done a number of gigs. They're not working for you. How awesome that you can move on. You're still young. Um, And it's not to say the next gig's going to work out for you, right? It may not. It may not feel right either, but keep going until you find it. Um, Because it's hard to find energy to, um, you know, if you don't love what you do and you don't believe in it and you don't have a purpose, and it doesn't resonate. It's so hard to find the energy you need to make it work and work well. I think that's the 
the fate and the conundrum and the the question of an entrepreneur is uh, you got to fight every day and it takes a huge amount of sacrifice and energy and courage and failure. So if it doesn't feel good, um, move on. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm still very grateful. Like you said, I've experienced this now. I know what it's like. And it's grown me a lot as a person. Because in school, I was very introverted, I would say. Like, I've always enjoyed hanging around with people, but I'd be, like, very shy, you know. But now, as I moved into this industry, it helped me grow out of my comfort zone, you know. Like, it broke barriers for me. And I've always wanted to be an extroverted because I have a friend that's very extroverted. It just seems like it comes very easy to him. You know, so I was like, man, I always wanted to be like that. And yeah, so now this has helped me a lot in that direction. I can, you know, I can be in front of a camera. I'll be like, oh, cool. You know, I love this. That's cool. I can speak. Put a, I can be put on this. <laughs> I can be put on the spot by Matt and I'll still do it. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, oh, no, please don't. You know, but I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that have come my way and grown me as a person. What does it say? Remember why you started. Oh, yes. Thank you very much for helping me with my problem. Oh, pleasure. You and don't have uh, a problem. You've got an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That's a great way to see it. You don't have a problem. You have an opportunity. And I think the biggest, um, the biggest again, um, perception that the creative or advertising industry created for itself um, is around this idea that people who are extrovert are those who are successful. And a lot of my cohorts at business school did theses in this area of, uh, and actually did um, a lot of experimentation in creative companies on extroversion and introversion and actually why introverts are celebrated more um, in creative companies than introverts. Um, and in many companies, how to reverse that because the power of the introvert and the power of those who say little but say things of importance has become far more respected, I think, over time. And I think it's this idea of creativity and science moving closer and closer together and there being an amazing home. Even in schools, some schools, the curricula is moving to um, – uh, and I'm blessed that my child is at a school just like that where science and creativity hold hands um, pretty much from the start of school, which uh, in the past was never done. So don't, um, don't underestimate the power of scientific thinking, technical knowledge um, alongside introversion and creative thinking. You've got, uh, you've got the recipes for the best future worker. Yes, I 100% agree. Like one thing that I've learned is that in school I always used to think, okay, I need to be academic or I need to be creative. Meanwhile, you know, they they go hand in hand. That's where success would probably come from, you know, the two working together. Because even as an engineer, I would have to be very creative to fix a problem that no one, they'd be like, oh, what's wrong here? And I'd be like, okay, uh, let me create this thing to fix this problem, you know? We're going to be working for you in a couple of years. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay, um, so I'll hand the show back over to Matt. But there's <laughs> he wants one, <laughs> it. <laughs> it is your show, after all. There's just one thing that I have to do before I leave, and that is drop the mic. Oh. oh. I feel so sad. <laughs> Brad, you're a great co host. <laughs> See, you shouldn't go, dude. I'll make you famous, bro. You already are famous. Okay. So um, let's do Q&A, dude. Uh, so this is for both of you guys. Do you guys think that in the future, creative talent will be needed, such as graphic design, motion design, web design? And that's from Janet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
I think every bit of um, technology is going to have um, an interface of some kind. I think some of it is going to be able to be created um, by machines um, or robotically it already is, or else you can just go into Fiverr. But, <laughs> um, but I think the winners, the winners in all of this are going to be those that access the highest talent, the freshest ideas, the most awesome interfaces um, and ideas which make the technology come alive. I can't imagine that um, machine-based creativity is going to be um, successful across the board in every category. Um, I just can't. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think, especially today, being connected to the whole world, I think if you have a creative um, skill set, like, you, dude, you could totally work for yourself. Like, now, you don't even need me. Do you know what I'm saying? It, but it's great that you're here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but Brad, on the other hand, like, with engineering, and that, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, But seriously, dude, like, creative skills are, like, so in demand right now because people are able to create amazing things at scale, faster and better and cheaper than at any other point in our history. So if you are a creative right now and you have a creative skill set or maybe you want to cre you know, get a creative skill set, then do it. Like, just fucking do it. Like, don't waste any more time because you can truly create, like, life on your terms, Right. A lot of swearing on the show, Matt. You should have given me the heads up. Oh, dude, you know me. <laughs> you know me. Uh, Stuart asks, can you have craft without concept? That's for you, Lauren. Stuart, craft without, <clears throat> without concept. Yeah, I totally think that you can. I've seen plenty of ideas which have been crafted to within an inch of their lives and yet have absolutely no meaning because there's a thin idea behind it. And those thin ideas uh, don't last very long. Um, so I think there are very, very beautiful things out there. Um, if you're talking about the craft of design, um, and there craft is critical. Um, I think we've lost, um, we've lost a lot of craft because of the pace um, of business. And that in some way to me um, is, has been a pity if I look at some of the work that's come out of creative agencies in the last, let's say, 20 years in the rush to get work out. We've lost a lot of craft. But every now and again, and you'll probably agree, you get um, the most extraordinary piece of work that somebody has allowed to be crafted. Somebody has either given enough time sufficient budget or has put really the right people on the right job and and the craft's been extraordinary but again craft without concept in its entirety doesn't seem to have the longevity um and i and i actually posted something on my instagram account last week i was in durban and um sorry i was in durban hey how's it derps um and there was surfers waiting out uh, in the surf um near umschlanger rocks and the minutes i see surfers waiting i can't help but think of the guinness ad which was made in 1996 
um, which was around waiting, um, just, you know, building an analogy and the most incredible narrative around waiting and the power of waiting and why it's important to wait, obviously, for the perfect wave um, and the experience of these surfers. Um, and they used the most incredible, for that time, um, special effects to create massive white horses, which... Um, represented the white horses of waves and it's just the most magnificent piece of advertising and it fueled me to keep going in this industry because it wasn't just the incredible craft and the massive budget that Guinness put behind that at that time but it was also the strongest idea and that is that um, a Guinness is worth waiting for just like the perfect wave yeah I got nothing <laughs> I got nothing on that one longevity uh, yeah <laughs> You, any more questions? No, we're good. Okay, Lauren. Matt. You know, I just thoroughly enjoyed this. This is awesome. This is the rad thing about doing live stuff because you never really know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been you. an absolute awesome pleasure. Can I please thank get you. a big round of applause for Lauren? Thank you so much thank for being you. on the Map Round Show. You've been thank awesome you. and amazing. And yeah, wishing you and Mrs. Wolf and the team that you've built uh, every success. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Brilliant support in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have a last ring? Yeah, go, go. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Ciao, ciao, guys. Cheers. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.